Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Director of Outreach for the Naval Institute. And joining me, as always, is the Deputy Editor of Proceedings Magazine, Intel Officer Extraordinaire, retired Navy Captain Bill Hamlet. Bill, how are you today? Hey, Ward. Great to be here again. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. You're such an office guy saying things like Happy Wednesday. You're that guy (laughs) that walks around saying things like Happy Wednesday. Um, Victory begins at the Naval Institute. Okay, I like that. I like that better. Um, So last week, during some of our discussion, we had some comments on Facebook primarily about uh, we were liberal and some other things. So I just wanted to state up front that the Proceedings Podcast is not a political show. We have no designs on political affiliation. Our own political leanings are immaterial and beside the point. But it seems like in this environment that to talk about military culture or traditions or heritage or anything like that, you accidentally stumble into some sort of political pole. Um, So we have a good example that you posted today on the Proceedings Today site why don't you talk about that real quick and, and some of the reactions you've seen so far? Yeah, so I would start off by just reminding people uh, the Naval Institute has been around since 1873, established by a group of naval officers whose goal was to stimulate debate, right? Provide an open forum for those to read, think, speak, write about issues of consequence to the naval profession, sea service, national security. Um, and we went, I referred to our last episode to, uh, for people to hear a detailed conversation of the early days of the Naval Institute, uh, to your point. Right. And, uh, and we've, we publish things uh, that are pro one idea, con, the same, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, if people are writing uh, about an issue that is, um, that touches on or is essential to national security, sea services, the future tactics, doctrine, strategy, leadership, military. Um, if it's written professionally, if it's well thought out, uh, if it's researched, um, we will publish it. We publish uh, not just factual articles. We also write, you know, publish commentary, and we have for our entire history, commentary about leadership, commentary about senior leadership uh, within the military, commentary at times about um, about the commander-in-chief, right? Uh, it has to be professional. Uh, it has to be uh, well-stated. Productive. Productive. We're not interested in rabble-rousing right. for its own right. Right. sake. Um, and it doesn't call names, and it doesn't, you know, use expletives, right? So the, the piece that uh, is getting some debate on our Facebook site today Uh, is a piece called Take a Knee for Social Justice. It's written by retired Rear Admiral uh, Michael Baker. He was a medical corps doctor uh, in the Navy. He's retired for some time now. Uh, And it's about, you know, uh, football players taking a knee during uh, the national anthem, which is getting a lot of debate. Uh, uh, It's getting debate within our blog. It's getting debate, uh, you know, across the nation right now. Um, and this is a doctor, uh, a retired two-star uh, Navy admiral who saw this, had some thoughts about it, wrote a very, uh, I think, a very reasoned argument about it, about why, how he feels about it and why he came down uh, one way or the other. Uh, and, and we published it. It's interesting, I think, um, uh, and this gets to, uh, I think, a lot of 
comments about social media these days is that people tend to react to things before they listen or before they read. So just before we I... We have stats. We have I, stats I, to I, prove I, this. I can prove that, right? <laughs> this so, isn't... So this I, isn't a qualitative judgment. You have quantitative data. I can data. quantitatively tell you that as of about 45 minutes ago, 171 people on our Facebook site uh, had commented on this piece by Rear Baker. 171 comments on it. And some were, were you know, in favor of it. Some were very strongly against it. Uh, but I can also tell you from Google Analytics of our website only 43 people had actually clicked on that article and read it. So you have 170 people commenting on something and what, 130 of them have not actually read it. So that tells you something about sort of even if you throw a headline out uh, with a picture, people will automatically jump to a conclusion one way or the other about what you're trying to say. Uh, and some, some of the comments were very negative about the Naval Institute. Hey, when, since when does Naval Institute wade into this kind of political, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I posted a reply to one of those questions and said, the Naval Institute doesn't take a side on this. Uh, this is a piece written by a naval professional. Uh, it is, uh, it's a logical piece. It's well thought out. It's professionally written. It is his opinion. It's researched. It's, it has precedent it, in history. Right. And, it, uh, and, and if somebody wants to disagree with it, they can also write a piece that we would publish. So it is an open forum. It is a place for the debate to happen among people of the sea services. So, I mean, how many people knew about the West Virginia Jehovah's Witnesses, that well, president? Well, right. And so the, Admiral Baker goes back to and, and he says right up front, when the NFL players started to take a knee during the national anthem, uh, he was... And he says, at first I was taken aback by football players not standing for the national anthem. In fact, I was a little angry. Um, but then he went, he goes on to say, taking a knee is not about disrespect for the national anthem or the flag, but a personal statement to highlight that some feel differently about how they might be treated as Americans. It's a cry for social justice. So that's his, that is his take on it. But the research he did is, goes back to a Supreme Court decision in 1943 State of West Virginia versus uh, Barnett, um, and it was a, a case about uh, some Jehovah's Witnesses children in public schools in West Virginia who refused to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, and the State of West Virginia Board of Education uh, took them to court. You know, said you must stand. There was a there was a court case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, right to not stand during the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. And uh, uh, Admiral Baker, he actually didn't write much from his own perspective. He really just cited the court's opinion. Um, and the majority opinion was written by Supreme Court Justice Robert H. Jackson. And, and, and the, the prose is beautiful, right? Um, and he, one of the things that he says is if, if there is any fixed star in our constitutional constellation, it is that no official, high or petty, can prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion, or force citizens to confess by word or act their faith therein. Uh, and three other Supreme Court justices weighed in, in on the same side of the argument, uh, and so the Jehovah's Witnesses children you know, won the case. Anyway, interesting piece. Uh, is it my opinion? It doesn't matter. Is it Ward's opinion? Doesn't matter. Naval Institute is here. 
to provide an, an open forum for people to have a, a discussion and have a debate. So uh, why do we publish stuff like that? We publish stuff like that all the time that questions a lot of different things. Uh, as long as it's written professionally, as long as it's not an ad hominem attack against anybody, uh, we, will, we will consider it and publish it. Uh, much of it will go to our editorial board to make a decision about whether we publish it. But again, free and open forum for professional discussion and debate. So you bring up a great point with the stats there of the, you know, less than a third of those who commented read the piece. Uh, so that's kind of, let's just call it a party foul in terms of the ground rules, if you will, of the forum that is the independent forum of the sea services that is the Naval Institute. You know, so if you're just based on a headline, jumping into the fray uh, with a predetermined point of view and invective-laced diatribe, then that's that's not what the Naval Institute is for. You right. know, maybe you should go to BuzzFeed or another site. Breitbart. Um, Breitbart. Yeah, yeah. Wh whatever. Um, but... This piece is reason. This piece talks about precedent. This piece talks about the Supreme Court. I mean, in 600 words, he lays out a pretty cogent narrative. Agree or disagree. Right. And, do and, him the courtesy of reading the piece before you comment right. and, and on his, the piece. His end paragraph says, essentially... Uh, I will always stand for the national anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance. He personally, I will always do that. But part of me will also take a knee with those who uh, choose to do otherwise in the name of social justice, to bring attention to social justice. So he's essentially saying, you know, physically, the, the majority of me is going to stand, is going gonna, is gonna to pledge allegiance, is going to stand for the national anthem. But I understand the other side, and I, part of me kind of is with that other side. So if the commenters are saying, as they accuse us of some sort of liberal bent or political affiliation, that to be researched, to be applying logic, precedent, history to your point of view is somehow a political narrative, then we're guilty. But we're rejecting that as some sort of, again, keep our politics out of it. Um, it doesn't matter. The ground rules are, as you've stated, no need to repeat them. Read our mission statement on the website or anywhere else. It's pretty clear. But you just can't come into the forum half-cocked and troll. That's not what it's ever been about. That's not what Admiral Warden established. That's not what we've ever done. And to remind the viewers on Facebook and the audience on the podcast, things of great consequence have emerged from the forum. You know, you can start with the Naval War College and then you go on to power versus sale and you go on to torpedoes and you work your way through the tactics and methods used during World War II of amphibious warfare and aircraft carrier and strike warfare and defense in depth and everything that happened through the emergence of nuclear power. Lieutenant Hyman Rickover contributed to Proceedings Magazine. And go on and on. We, again, right. we went through this in great detail last week. We, we did. Right? And, and some out there might question, well, well, this is a political issue, this idea of you know, NFL players not, not um, standing 
uh, for the national anthem. It's, it's politics. What does it have to do with the Navy? Uh, so I would a couple of things I would just throw out. One is that the Naval Institute has also taken on issues of that have seemed political at the time, right? Uh, don't ask, don't tell during the Clinton administration. That was uh, widely debated in the pages of proceedings. Well, but and then later, and, when Admiral Mullen was the chairman and it was being repealed, that that was in the Obama administration. Right. So highly charged. Right. Right. And and, and written about in proceedings, yes. discussed on our pages. Right. Uh, you know the the revolt of the admirals, political thing in the nineteen what late forties, um, written about written about in uh, in proceedings. Yes, um, that was a navy versus air force issue. Right, it was incredibly political. Women in combat, incredibly incredibly political. political. So from time to time, the Naval Institute, the Open Forum, in commentary, the in invasion dis- of Iraq, in incredibly political, right? right. I mean, it's right. sometimes there right. war is a continuation of politics, yes. the mil- you know, et cetera, right? Yeah. So, so um, we can have discussions that that impinge on political issues or you know military issues that that have uh, that are playing out in the political realm. Um, we thought the staff thought that this particular piece was well written. None of us was familiar with the dissent, with the 1943 Supreme Court decision, which clearly has some precedent to this. Uh, but also there's a lot of conversation right now uh, within military circles about this issue of, is it right to stand or take a knee? Is it, what do we in the military serve to protect and defend? What do we swear an oath yeah. to, right? And, and this is one of the things that Admiral Baker brings up here is that when he swore an oath, he swore an oath to protect and defend the Constitution, which enshrines the First Amendment right to uh, to dissent, to protest, to speak your mind. So, you know, military uh, oath. Uh, what what is the military designed to protect and defend? Uh, freedom of speech, all sort of wrapped together. Is it political? It sure is. Does Bill's you know, does my opinion matter? No. Does your opinion matter? No. It's an open forum. This is a retired admiral, you know, writing about where he's come down after thinking hard and doing some research on this topic. So, the um, you bring up a good point about uh, what underpins service. You know, when we swear the oath, what are we swearing an oath to? And it's within the bounds of the independent forum to have those conversations. And the ground rules, again, are they have to be productive. You can't just go after somebody with, you know, invective and uh, belittling and labels and all that sort of thing. Um, This is what, you know, we teach our undergraduates who become naval officers. This is what is taught at places like the Senior Enlisted Academy where I had the luxury of visiting up in Newport last week. Uh, I always loved being among the, the chiefs uh, and, and uh, the, the chief's mess up there. It's just, it's a gift. And I can tell you that the talent of those who are serving now is better than ever. So, you know, we old guys can look at over our shoulders and, and, and wonder how folks are able to separate chaff from wheat and and have clarity of purpose. And I'm here to tell you that uh, things are fine at the deck plates, uh, by and large. Um, But again, this forum was created 
for this very reason at at times where there isn't clarity and there is strife and a, a disagreement and discord all we demand is reason so we're increasingly on social media that's and we've talked about this as well before that's on purpose we're you're going to see more and more naval institute content on facebook and twitter and reddit and instagram and snapchat so forth and so on because those are the distribution mechanisms that reach the audience that we need to reach it's not an opinion it's not to be skew young or old it's just to be relevant and by doctrine and mission we have to be relevant as we described in 1873 the naval institute's mission defined relevance it changed the course of the navy in the wake of the civil war absent the naval institute lord knows where we've been you know i mean the navy could have been a subset of the army like a few boats that the army had there's no telling what would have happened had admiral warden and his cohort not seized the tiller and set a course and this is just a continuation of that um, we believe it's what differentiates the naval institute it's what we've always been about between proceedings naval history our events and the press very unique product suite and it's not that we avoid controversy. We do not. We wade into controversy. We just don't do it half-cocked. And those are the demands that we put on each other. And those are what we expect from those who participate in our Facebook or Twitter feeds on social media. Yeah, great points. Great points. Um, so I'd like to move on to a couple of stories that are uh, in the news and coming out. I mentioned last week that we had just sent the uh, November issue, which is a Marine Corps focus issue, uh, out to the, the, the printers. Uh, so it'll be reaching people's uh, inboxes, uh, mailboxes about a week from now. Um, and in, in the news today on USNI News, there's a story written by Gidget Fuentes about how the Marine Corps uh, Marines have just fired a high Mars rocket uh, from the deck of the USS Anchorage LPD-23 off the coast of uh, Camp Pendleton. Uh, so this is the first time that an, a, a ground mobile uh, artillery rocket system, uh, you know, owned by the Marines, uh, they're experimenting a little bit here. They set it up on the deck of the, anch of the um, Anchorage, the Anchorage yeah. uh, 70, mile, 70 kilometers from a target at Camp Pendleton, uh, shot the HIMARS rocket, uh, target destroyed. So, uh, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about how Secretary Mattis is pushing very hard on all the services right now to think about ways to increase lethality. Uh, in the Navy over the last couple of years, Admiral Rowden, Admiral Gumatautau, Admiral Fanta have written about uh, distributed lethality, right? And so in our traditional thinking about amphibious warfare, Amphibious ships like the Anchorage, you know, were to deliver Marines to a place where Marines could go ashore and then establish a beachhead and, and uh, combat power from the beach. Uh, but in this case, you know, they're experimenting a little bit. Hey, why don't we shoot a rocket? What happens if we shoot rockets from the amphibious ship before we disembark? Uh, if there's targets that we need to, you know, take out that would allow us, you know, then to... Uh, uh, more effectively disembark and get ashore. Let's let's engage them from shore, or let's engage them from sea, right? Uh, so it's I think it's just a great way of showing, hey, there's an experimental spirit out there, 
we've had uh, some some great pieces written about interwar experimentation. Go back to that mindset that the Navy had or the military had in the interwar period between World War One and World War Two. We talked about Jerry Ron Colado's uh, proceedings today piece uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast, where he was you know hearkening back to that sort of heyday of of experimentation of what the war college would do and what the fleet battle problems would do where they were experimenting with really hard you know, challenges at the time. Uh, and I just hold up this example of the Marines and, uh, and the Navy thinking about firing a high Mars rocket you know, from a ship at sea at a target at Camp Pendleton. Let's see how that plays out, right? So that's building some more lethality into the force, something that we hadn't done before, a little bit of you know, distributing the lethality to different places, maybe shooting the adversary from a, a way or a place that uh, he or she didn't expect it. Anyway, it just seemed like a great story to me. Yeah, like you said, it's, that's all about innovation. Um, bravo to, to Gidget. Um, it's, it's awesome to see her contributing to USNI News. Uh, you know, she's been a Marine Corps Times, Navy Times writer for many years. She's a franchise. Great to have her on our team. Um, so some other things come up here around the Annapolis area. Uh, now, this isn't open to the public, but it's very interesting that Senator McCain is going to be speaking to the brigade next Monday, the 30th of October. Again, not open to the public, but I'm thinking that this is going to be sort of his MacArthur, old soldiers never die um, speech that, if you uh, remember, uh, General MacArthur gave that really memor- memorable speech um, at the end of uh, his his uh, life at West Point, where he reflected very nostalgically on the Corps and what it meant to him, and it's just incredible. So I'm kind of thinking this is going to be history. This will be McCain's uh, love letter, if you will, um, to the Naval Academy and and the Navy, and um, just very much looking forward to seeing the transcript, if not seeing the video of this. Uh, I don't think they're going to webcast. I don't think it'll be live streamed. It's it's supposed to be a very private event. Um, but, uh, you know, this is going to be pretty interesting. Um, the other thing about that, on our YouTube page, the Naval Institute YouTube page, we have the um, videotaped interview between McCain and... Uh, Senator McCain and Bob Woodward that we showed a few weeks ago at the history conference on, on October 5th. Right. So that, if, was, that was done just a few days before that conference uh, from McCain's uh, Senate office. And, and that was poignant. And he made some direct points, you know, to the brigade during that interview. Yes. So I'm sure yes. coming over here to talk to the brigade in person will be even more so. Yeah. I think it's going to be incredibly emotional for him. I, I mean, Wow. Um, so, but I, I'm direct, uh, re- suggesting to the audience that they, they, if you haven't seen the Admiral Mullen's remarks as the keynote uh, about the politi- politics in the military, you've got to watch, that's must watch. The panel with General Powell and Bob Woodward and Admiral Harward and Admiral Roughhead was groundbreaking, best ever, um, and a very uniquely Naval Institute sort of event. And this videotape, that was shown at the, during the lunch break over at Alumni Hall is is amazing. It's very cool. So I'm sure this speech and, that he's going to give will be more of that. And, and all of that content from the five October conferences uh, on our YouTube channel, the Naval Institute YouTube channel. 
Yeah. So we have a Marilyn Steber is asked, do you send a notice that the podcast will be on? Uh, no, but we're generally on or about 1500 Eastern time. That's military time, 3 p.m. Uh, every Wednesday, we're, we try to do the show. Last week, we violated that uh, by doing it on a Tuesday. So I guess we could go up Facebook and say, hey, check us out. We should. I'm sorry, Marilyn. We should do a better job we, about we that. We should do that. We should do and that. And we will. And then we promise on the USNI.org uh, homepage, uh, if you look under proceedings, you can find the past episodes of the podcast. So yeah. we, we post them, the, the audio from SoundCloud. Right. So you don't get to see us. You don't get to see us. Bill's an incredibly yeah. handsome man. I know you do <laughs> want to see him. He's the American dream. Um, but we do post our podcasts uh, online at the on the USNI. Uh, yeah, it's like the website. Sunday New York Times. If you don't hear it week of, it's still worth listening to. These aren't necessarily time sensitive. Right. Each one is its own classic gem. Um, so if you haven't heard them all, go back and check them out. Uh, she also says, if I may comment on the subject about political remarks, I would say instead partisan remarks. Would that be a better definition? What do you think about that? I, I think that's a great definition that uh, that we should, and I, and I think it's true, the Naval Institute is nonpartisan, and our debates, our, our discussions try to be nonpartisan. Um, and if they're, but uh, so if, what's it, the difference between political and partisan? Well, what's that? I, I, you know, as we said, war is an extension of politics. I mean, there are, there's, it's very, very difficult to completely divorce military operations, strategy, tactics, budgets, you name it, from politics, right? Because, uh, you know, Congress has to fund a budget for the military. The executive has to, you know, put that into action. Um, so there's politics involved in military decision-making of any country. Uh, I guess partisan would be if you or I or, or we published a piece that was pro-President Trump or anti-President Trump, uh, you know, pro a, a, a you know, Republican, pro-Democrat, anti-Republican. You know, so that would be more partisan politics, more big R or big D politics, uh, whereas – I think uh, issues that sometimes touch on political topics uh, can be topics that are integral to a debate about uh, national security, sea services, military, Navy, Marine Corps, those kinds of things. That, that's how I would describe that, I guess. Okay. No, I, I think that's right. Yeah, that's Marilyn, right. thank you for the, uh, for the question. It was great. And thanks for, uh, for watching. Um, as we said, we're, we're planning on being here every, every week at, uh, at – three o'clock eastern time hey or there was one other thing I, that caught my attention on the news uh, last night today there was discussion about how general dunford I, and i think he did a, a, a fabulous job of talking about the questions about what happened to the four special special uh, forces soldiers who were killed in, in niger a couple of weeks ago uh, general dunford the chairman of the joint chiefs uh, publicly stated you know yesterday afternoon that the military owes the public uh, some answers about that. What, what was their mission? Why were they there? What was the timeline? How did this happen? Uh, what were they accomplishing? All those kinds of things to be um, transparent, right, so that people understand. And it's not that those soldiers, what they were doing, we talked about this a little bit before, for a very, very long time, the U.S. military special forces, Navy SEALs, Green Berets, et cetera, have been engaged overseas in countries that aren't the, at the tip of your tongue, right? 
Uh, Niger is an example. So Haiti has been an example. Colombia, uh, Philippines, etc. right? So not Iraq, not Afghanistan that have been on the top of everybody's mind. Uh, but conducting what we call foreign internal defense, also sometimes known as uh, you know, building partner capacity. So those countries are dealing with insurgencies, often dealing with terrorist groups, uh, and we want to help them get ahead of the problem before they succumb to the problem of al-Shabaab, uh, Boko Haram, et cetera, right? Uh, but General Dunford did a great job, I thought, yesterday of saying, hey, we owe the, the American public some answers about what happened there. Uh, and, and one of the things that he touched on was the fact that it's coming out now from, um, uh, from Africa Command, you know, the timeline of this engagement and when the ISR, when the drones were first overhead, right? So this, this squad of special forces with the Niger troops came in contact with the enemy, came in contact with a terrorist group. Um, and then it took a little bit of time. It was like an hour later, if I remember right, about an hour later that they first called for help. Well, they, right? they were ambushed. They, they fought through it. They went down the road and got ambushed a second time, and right. that's when they, called, they for called for help. And then they called for help. And then, you know, a, a drone, an ISR drone came overhead to, to look at the situation. Uh, the French were called in, French... Uh, uh, aircraft, uh, you know, took up station on a, on a close air support kind of mission. So a lot of things happen. But one of the things that came out of it is um, there's been discussion, and I've heard uh, AFRICOM say, hey, we are a economy of force theater, right? We know that the, the majority of U.S. forces that are deployed are not in Africa. So we do a lot of interesting missions, um, and we do them on the, you know, we do them economically, right? We don't do them with overwhelming force. You know, the Powell Doctrine is not, that's I'm, my words, but the Powell Doctrine is not in, uh, in action here in AFRICOM, right? We are doing things on the cheap. We're doing them as, you know. As so remind the audience what the Powell Doctrine is. The Powell is. Doctrine was, you know, that we're only going to take military action when we can go in with complete and overwhelming power so that we are assured victory, right? We're not going to... Uh, so uh, that reminds me in s sort of an analogous way of what we're seeing now coming out of the surface force with the, the problems in 7th Fleet, right? The readiness, the fact that 7th Fleet surface force units have been on call all the time, constantly deployed, and, you know, did that op tempo have something to do with, you know, the two collisions, Fitzgerald and McCain? And I, I think that there, you know, I'm drawing a, um, a connection here but I think the answer is yes, right? That we have asked our military repeatedly to do a lot, uh, to be in places, to go forward, to take on terrorists, to conduct foreign internal defense, to be for the Navy units, to be forward, to be deployed, to be at sea. Um, we've, we've put a lot of demands on them. Um, and we, you know, are seeing that maybe we have underfunded or we haven't you know, we haven't give them, given them all the spare parts, all the manning, all the training, all the maintenance, all the yard period. You know, in the case of the, the special forces in Niger, you know, four guys, should it have been 12? Uh, an ISR drone took a little while to get on station. Should it have been there, you know, the entire time of their mission? So I, I think you're starting to, you know, these are some elements of mission stretch, right, or, or forces that are being you know, very stretched, doing a lot without a lot, uh, and the requirements have continued to grow, whereas the resources have not 
grown commensurately. Also, you we get involved in this is the nature of asymmetric war is you you don't ever quite know when it's going to get kinetic. So you go for a meeting with tribal leaders and in what seems like a very innocuous uh, innocuous circumstance on your way out you get ambushed in a big way. So that can you can point to bad intel, you can talk to mission creep, you can but some of this is just the nature of these sorts of of wars. You know, it's like wandering around a bad neighborhood um, thinking that that particular intersection is okay, and then you wind up getting your ass kicked. You know, right. and, uh, and, and that intersection has been okay for week right. after week yes. after week. Or and and at times, uh, doing some of these missions like foreign internal defense, you want a small footprint. The host nation wants you to have a small footprint. They don't want you to come in with a full platoon. They want you to come with a couple of advisors who can quietly, professionally. Uh, without a big, uh, you know, without drawing a lot of attention to it, you know, conduct the mission, get their forces trained, show them how to do what uh, they should do or can, you know, could do uh, to help stabilize, uh, you know, an area of a country, you know, go after uh, a terrorist group, you know, all those kinds of things. So, yeah, it, it's it's not easy. It is not an easy thing to balance uh, all those different variables and to get it right 100% of the time. So, again, with respect to the Independent Forum, whatever lessons learned emerge that are relevant, they'll certainly be discussed in the pages of proceedings and on our digital products. And, you know, that's all we care about. We, we, are, we have a stake in the lessons learned. We, we have uh, members, and, and by doctrine, uh, we have stakeholders at SOCOM you know, at, um, you know, NAVCENT, at, at AFRICOM. Uh, Fifth Fleet, Seventh Fleet, Exactly. Fleet. You know, our, right. the chairman of the board uh, was UCOM, and for a while UCOM also had cognizance over what is now AFRICOM. So, um, and I saw Admiral Stavridis on uh, Morning Joe this morning. He's, you know, very savvy, very sage about the region and what, should be done and so forth. So we're, we're on the case. And uh, again, as we've said, like a million times, this particular episode of the podcast, no intent to be overtly political, but sometimes you can't avoid it. You know, it's just the way it's going to go. Um, so at, 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 is there anything else from the magazine we wanted to talk about? Uh, no, but I would uh, just make point that uh, so yesterday we had uh, Captain Kevin Iyer in uh, talking to Fred and me um, he's written a number of articles for us uh, in proceedings today and in proceedings over the last year he writes a, a monthly column called charting the course uh, retired surface warfare officer commanded three uh, cruisers uh, it was a great conversation with Kevin we talked a little bit about the Belial report from almost 10 years ago uh, and we're expecting, and I talked to Sam Lagrone uh, maybe a week ago, we're expecting that the, that the Admiral Davidson report on the McCain and Fitzgerald collisions will come out about the 2nd of November. So we're coming up very close on that report coming out. It'll be interesting to see the conclusions. Captain uh, Iyer yesterday was saying it'll be interesting to compare the Belial report of almost a decade ago with the Davidson report 
and and see those recommendations that were made about the surface community, uh, you know, in the in the 2000s. Uh, compared to what will come out of the Davidson report. So that's just a, uh, a tipper of what's coming at us uh, over the next uh, week or so. So we look forward to the uh, November issue. Another guy that we met yesterday is uh, a Navy SEAL, uh, Jared Seuss, Lieutenant Jared Seuss. He's in the English Department here at the Naval Academy. Look for an article by him in, is it in the November issue? Is that is that where that one's going to be about uh, the things they, the books they carried? Yes. Is what it's called? Yeah. Um, so he's very influenced by Hemingway. Uh, so it's, I, I, I am a sucker for warfighters who talk openly about their literary influences. And uh, so Jared seems like an awesome guy. We're, we're, we're very excited to have him do more while he's stationed here. Um, and so look for look, look for him to be our uh, seal on the uh, on the team, if as it were. Yeah, we'll need to invite him onto the podcast as a guest. Yes, I like it. That's going to happen. Um, so let's let's as a closing thought here, go back into the the wayback machine here. This is out of the October issue of proceedings, and uh, our good friend Dennis Clift, who was on the national security team with President Ford. Back in the day, icons walk the, the and, halls. And here. President Nixon. And Nixon. Traveled with Nixon to the Soviet Union. He's got some amazing pictures on his wall. He was a badass. He is a badass still, but uh, he was truly the man back in, in those days. And uh, a tour through his office is really a, like like uh, a, a Nat Geo special. Uh, but here's from the October 1917 proceedings. Quote, this is an age of positivism. End quote, Marine Major... G.C. Thorpe wrote in the, quote, The Situation and Organization. A civilian of this kind was in the Congressional Library and had accidentally discovered that war was more or less an exact science, and he was eager for data. Why, quote, he said, the people would eat up books about war weapons and every sort of fighting means if the military people would only produce the literature. The trouble is there's so little written about this sort of thing in this country that the public appetite has never been cultivated. So that's October 1917. I think the Naval Institute has been involved in combating that. Um, and uh, that's interesting that uh, sort of I love the, the, the way we were that Dennis does each month because uh, it really does give you context and there's solace in history that these attitudes have kind of have always been there. Um, and uh, that, I thought that one was particularly interesting in terms of the military uh, civilian divide that existed even on the eve of World War One. All right, so Marilyn, thanks for tuning in and for asking your question. Uh, everybody else who's up the live uh, podcast here uh, or on Facebook Live, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you this time next week. And uh, for everybody else, check us out on uh, on usni.org uh, as well as our SoundCloud page. And as always, look for us. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, check us out on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube page. We're posting stuff all the time. Sam Legron and his team is always posting cool stuff, mini documentaries and whatnot. Remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. We'll see you next week.